We began last week taking a look at some of the larger aspects of the nature of God, mercy, grace, and love. I said it's important to learn and relearn as we go along the way, lest we start to take everything for granted. Because these get to the very nature of who God is. You see, God just doesn't have mercy. He is merciful. God just doesn't have grace. He is grace. God just doesn't have love. He is love. And thus, our very faith, our salvation is dependent upon God's mercy, grace, and love. I said this last week, and it bears repeating. There wouldn't be a Good Friday or an Easter Sunday if God wasn't merciful, full of grace and love. So last week we did mercy. This week we begin with the topic of grace. Grace is the main distinction of Christianity against all other world religions. Christianity at its core is a religion based on grace. Yet just as I talked about last week, that mercy is really difficult for us to understand because we don't understand the depth of our sin nor the depth of God's mercy. Grace is as just as difficult to really comprehend. And it's harder to accept it, to believe it, to fully trust that it is all God's grace. See, here's the problem. You and I live in a world in which we want fairness, at least on human terms. And we see that in our culture. You know that we've grown up a generation that's supposed to get a trophy for just participating, right? And you know what's happened now? That generation now has gone into the full education system and it starts to uh, change who we are as a government. It also starts to change who we are as a church. And that idea of fairness on a human level affects even the church. Let me give you a very small example. It's a a small little tiny example, but I thought it was rather humorous. So at my previous church, we had Bible study like we do here. And we were talking about how are people saved in the Old Testament? And the short answer is, it's all grace. They're saved like grace, just like we are. But we were working our way through that. Now, if you've been to a Bible study, well, I like to have fun. And occasionally, I'll give points like, oh, good answer, 50 points. Nice, 500. Like People are like, people are like wow, 500 points, you know? By the way, they don't mean anything. You can't cash them in anywhere, but they're just kind of fun to have, right? So we were having this conversation, and it turned out that the other side of the table, they had a lot more points than my side of the table, And somebody on my side of the table went, well, I think we should get points and kind of just even it out. And then somebody on the other side is, but you didn't earn it. And then the light bulb went out, uh, went went on, not out, went on. And somebody said, well, then it wouldn't be grace, would it? See, even that little microcosm of how we think about fairness on a human terms. We want things to be fair by our way. But you know what? Grace doesn't play fair. 
If you want fair, here it is. Here's fair. You should have lived the life that Jesus did, but you didn't, so you should die the death that Jesus did. That's fair. But we thank God on our knees. We thank God that grace does not play fair. The gospel in all of its glory cuts through all of our preconceived notions about justice, about, uh, about what is fair. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at grace. And we're going to take a look at two different types of people. The first group is people who reject grace. And the second group is people who need grace. So let's take a look. Sinners who reject grace. Verse 2 and 3. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All of the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. See, while many people know this particular account, this particular story, and they focus on the woman who receives grace, if you read it, most of the text is not about the woman, it's about the Pharisees. Now the scribes, scribes and Pharisees, scribes were those who copied Scripture. They were concerned with records, with bureaucracy and administration. The Pharisees were not priests. They weren't priests, but they were more like lay people who were really, really well-versed in God's law. And by the way, the Pharisees were not irreligious by any means. As a matter of fact, they would have been the most religious out of the group, if you take a look at it that way, because they were really serious. They were serious about following God's law. But the thing is, when you want to follow every single letter of the law, you turn God's law into a hammer of morality, and the only thing a hammer is good for is hitting things, right? And smashing things down. So thus, if you followed the law, you were a good person. If you didn't follow the law, you were smashed by the hammer of the law, and thus you are a bad person. So when you take God's law and just make it in only, if you just make it a matter of morality, here's what happens. You unintentionally throw out mercy, grace, love, forgiveness. And your heart becomes hardened, and you become bitter and anger. See, the Pharisees were full of hate because Jesus wasn't following what they thought he should be following. But if they really, by the way, if they really wanted Jesus to follow the law, and if they were going to follow the law, you know what they were supposed to do in bringing this woman? They were supposed to bring two witnesses according to the Mosaic law. They were supposed to bring two witnesses, one of which should have been a man. So the Pharisees themselves weren't even following the law in bringing this woman before Jesus. Because it wasn't about the woman. They were there to test, to tempt Jesus. They were trying to entrap him. Verse 5 says, Now, in the law, Moses commanded us 
to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might bring some charge against him. The shame and fear that they put this woman through, publicly exposing her, meant nothing to them as long as she achieved their purpose. She was a pawn in their game. Now, now, how many of you are shaking your heads at the Pharisees for shame at the Pharisees, right? And yet, whether we like to admit it or not, you and I are probably more like Pharisees than any one of us would admit. I myself, when I see the news, what's going on in the world, what's going on in our culture, in our school systems, when I hear about churches and church leaders who say, well, just forget about the Old Testament. You really don't have to believe the virgin birth. Jesus didn't die for our sins. I get mad. And then I think about the flock. I think about the flock that blindly leads a pastor who is not bound by Scripture at all. And I think, haven't you read? Jesus said, it's the narrow gate. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Don't you know? Haven't you read? And when I get worked up like that, and I do, I want to throw stones. I'm just like a Pharisee. So here's the question for you this morning. What stones do you want to throw? Where do you harbor hatred or bitterness? Where are you entangled in anger and jealousy? Where are you petty and desire to seek revenge? See, here's what happens when you get so angry and you want to throw stones. Most likely, you have taken God's word and turn it into just a hammer of morality, or you're even divorced from God's word, and you think you have righteous anger, but you don't. You just are self-righteous. And that's what happens when you want to throw stones. And that was the case of the Pharisees. When you take God's gospel message and reduce it only to a matter of morality, you lose understanding, compassion, and grace. While Paul in 1 Corinthians was writing about the dissension within the church of Corinth, and man, they were a messed up church. They really were in many ways. I think his words also apply here this morning. He said this, and you know this, it's mostly in, the, in weddings, although it's not a context for a wedding. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. This is what Jesus saw in the Pharisees. Unrepentant sinners with no love. So Jesus responds to these empty, noisy gongs by holding up a mirror to them. 
And his words were very, very simple. He said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. That's the mirror. Very simple words, right? But here's what he did. He says, if you want to live by the law, then you will die by the law. You will get what is fair. You will get what is just. You know, while God's law is found throughout Scripture, you can find God's law throughout Scripture. It is most encapsulated. We're most familiar with it with the Ten Commandments. Now, if I asked you, I'm not going to ask you, but if I asked you to name all Ten Commandments in any order you want, could you do it? Most of us couldn't, could we? We would struggle with it. We might get one or two in there. Maybe three, four, but ten? That's pretty tough. See, and here's the thing. We give lip speak to God's word. We give lip speak to God's commandment. But I have to tell you, the study we did in the education hour on the Ten Commandments, and then also mirroring that with the Sermon on the Mount, is so, so edifying for me. What you're doing is you're gazing into God's perfect moral nature. And you're like, wow. And then you also see yourself and you kind of go, wow, because you're not. You can see the gap between God's perfect moral nature and that you are totally lacking. See, here's what God's law does to you, and this is what Jesus did. God's law doesn't simply say that other people are sinners and that you're okay. It says you are the sinner. You are the one in need of repentance. And so Jesus discerned the thoughts of the Pharisees and he held up the law. And he said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He says, for you, you want the law? Here's the law. You can deal with that. Here's the judgment. And so this morning you have two choices before you. You can walk away as the Pharisees did, and they were deflated, but they were unrepentant. They still had that stone in their hand. Or you can come before the Lord, before the cross of Christ, put the stone down, and receive his forgiveness and receive his grace. This is the first group. Sinners with unrepentant hearts now we're going to go sinners in need of grace. Going to verse 10 and 11. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. So to paraphrase preacher Chris Talton, he said, Imagine we're having worship right now. You don't have to imagine that, hopefully. But... We're here in worship. And all of a sudden, several police cars come up and they drag a woman right in front, a prostitute right there. 
and they make her stand right before you. There is nowhere to turn. There is nowhere to hide. And she is shamed to her very core. This is the woman who was brought in. The last place she wanted to be was in uh, by the temple, by a holy place, because she knew she wasn't. And she was probably maybe half clothed, clothes that might have been ripped. They wouldn't even let her just crawl up in a ball and try to hide. She had to stand there in front of everybody, and her sin was totally exposed. I bet she felt naked. Now imagine you standing right here. And you had to share your deepest, darkest sin before the world. Wouldn't you feel naked? Wouldn't you feel ashamed? Wouldn't you just want to crawl up in a ball and try to hide? That's the extent of how she felt. But Jesus offers grace in this moment. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. It is God's unmerited favor. It is a gift. You see, how does this work? Right? She sinned. She was actually caught in the act of adultery. She sinned and she was due the penalty, which is death. But how does that work with God's grace? You see, you can't just say, well, her sin didn't matter. Like God, God is just love, and so he's going to just turn a blind eye to any sin. You can't say that. Jesus, by the way, didn't just excuse her. He didn't say, oh, well, no big deal. Walk away from it. As if that never happened. And by the way, there are people who say they understand only part in part of who God is. And they say, well, God is love, and so it just doesn't matter whatever sin that you do. No, it does matter. God detests sin, and yet he has grace. So how does that work together? It works together like this. And actually, I got to do this first. When you minimize sin and then expect God to simply look the other way, you make a disgrace of God's grace. Okay, so let me give you an example here. Let's say someone robbed a bank, and they're caught red-handed, right? There's no question at all they robbed a bank. And now they're before the judge. And the guy's pleading with the judge, but your honor, I gave some of that money to charity. And I helped several little old ladies across the street. And I was really nice. And I gave that waitress an extra $100 tip. So I must be able to go free, right? Now, you're the judge. What would you do? You're going to go, are you nuts? No, you robbed a bank. There has to be a penalty because if the judge is a good judge, if he is a righteous judge, a penalty must be imposed, correct? Okay, now put you up here. You're before God the judge. 
All your sins are exposed. How do you plead? You can't say, well, I, I did good things. I went to an orphanage. I did all that. No, he said, no, look, the penalty for sin is what? Death. And if God is a right, holy, and just judge, he must, he must impose the penalty. But so the hammer comes down and you are declared guilty. But then something amazing happens. He takes off the robe. He comes down to you. And he says, I love you so much. I'll pay the penalty. You can't pay it. There's no way you can pay it. I'll pay the penalty for you. And brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He came to us and says, you can't pay what you owe. You can't. And though you don't deserve it, I love you so much that I'll die for you. Put your faith in me and you will be washed whiter than snow. This is grace. This is God's unmerited favor to us through Christ Jesus. God's grace. That's the depth of the gospel. That's the depth of God's love. He didn't spare his son so that we would be spared. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Is that fair? No, it is not, and we thank God that that is not fair. That is grace. You see, no matter how severe her sin was, and no matter how severe your sin might be, God's grace and God's forgiveness is always greater. Some people want to hide from God and His grace because they think they don't deserve it. They want to ball up. But if God can forgive that woman, if God can forgive me, he can certainly forgive you. No one is outside the reach of God's grace. And that is why, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. Now, once you are washed clean by the grace of God, what should you do? Jesus didn't say, tell the woman, okay, you're on your way. He said, what? Go and sin no more. Now, Jesus didn't believe that she would be sinless, but do not make a habit of sin. 
Because some people do. They say they come to the Lord's table and then the rest of the week is party, right? And they want to do that. And then they do this cycle again. That, that's a disgrace of God's grace. He says, go, now that you received that life, that forgiveness, go and sin no more. So this morning, whatever stone you have that you want to throw, put it at the foot of the cross. Receive his grace and forgiveness. And then walk as Jesus would have you walk. Go and sin no more. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. God's peace and joy in Christ Jesus be with you.